If you're talking sports, it's the matchup. Think you hear with Zizzy? Yeah, we're cutting it up. Just a couple athletic enthusiasts. You know what it is. Make podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We are back again with another episode of the Mickey Zizzy Podcast. This is episode eight. You know who it is. You know what we're talking about. It is your main co-host, Zizzy Yank, with my other main man and your main man, Mickey Hines. So, let's get it going. What's going on, big man? How you doing tonight? Hey, it is great because we're going to talk about my favorite baseball player of all time. I got his jersey on. When he swings, he swings for number 62. Move over, Big Mac. You got company, Sammy Sosa. I'm excited. Now, I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but uh, Sammy Sosa, you know, just everything that he did and me being a, you know, Chicago kind of fan, you know, the Cubs are my favorite team. So, you know, I'm excited to talk about it. Yes, absolutely. We got a few things to talk about. We're going to talk about some baseball and we're going to talk about some uh, football as well. So uh, let's get into it. You want to start with the long gone summer and the other conversation or where you want to go with it? Oh, yeah. So I'll continue on my rant of this documentary. So to start out, I really enjoyed it because I, you know, didn't know the entire story of this. You know, not that being baseball is not one of my favorite sports. But it was mm-hmm. really cool to see this documentary and just see how awesome and how movie-like this real-life scenario was. Now, think about this, Izzy, as a movie, okay? Mm-hmm. Two guys competing to break the home run record, the best thing in sports besides maybe pitching a perfect game. And, you know, they see it on ESPN all the time. They're going for the record, all right? They're going back and forth, back and forth every night. Absolutely. 25 minutes later, you hear, oh, he just tied the record. Him and Mark McGuire are going back at it. And you're in your game, and you hear everyone do a sigh because, you know, Sammy Sosa just took the lead on him. Like, this is movie stuff. Where can I put this in a movie? Like, can I make my money now or later? Like, this <laughs> was awesome. Maybe the documentary was a little more uh, based on Mark McGuire, which, you know, he did end up with the record, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but, like, just the whole situation itself, Zizzy, was just so movie like red versus blue. You know, they took each other's interviews at the same time. They knew that they were making once in a lifetime history. You know, I just, I loved it. I know some people yeah. had some other feelings, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I mean, I loved it too. I mean, obviously that was all going on when I was growing up as a little kid and my dad was a big time baseball, uh, baseball guy. So um, I was really into baseball growing up. I'm a big baseball, um, not just fan, but I mean, I used to play it a lot, uh, played it up until I want to say sophomore year in high school. Uh, but like you, not necessarily my favorite sport to watch, but I admire everybody that is able to play it. Uh, a lot of baseball players that I know are actually great overall athletes. So it's really interesting to see um, baseball players in general do what they do. But I agree with you. I thought it was awesome. Um, obviously, just the situation, the circumstances, what they're going after. I mean, this is Babe Ruth, Roger Maris. Like, this is legendary type stuff. And we're talking America's pastime. Like, this is baseball in the late 90s. They just came off a year in 94 where they had the lockout. They didn't play a season. Um, and that then they followed up with the biggest home run races of all time. So, um, really, really cool to see. Obviously, got to see some background info that I didn't know about 
as much growing up, which made it a little bit more interesting as well. But like you said, I mean, it's storybook. You've got McGuire coming in, breaking the record. Then all of a sudden Sosa with a late charge coming back, tying them. Then they're going back and forth, back and forth. They tied. They were tied for the lead 12 times. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of play on any given day throughout that season at the end of that race. So, I mean, pretty crazy stuff, really entertaining, uh, well done. And both, uh, in my opinion, two guys that are just really easy to root for. I mean, Sammy Sosa is one of probably the most charismatic baseball players and sports figures I've ever seen. Um, he was just happy to be there, happy to soak up the limelight. Uh, Mark McGuire obviously had a little bit more pressure on him, and I think that's um, – he was the one that was expected to break it. And obviously he did break it. So it's probably why the documentary was tailored a little bit more towards him, but either way, um, both of them really fun guys to watch. Uh, they have some good messages. Um, but yeah, just, I really enjoyed it. And then you get to the end of it though. And I kind of wanted to get your, just, uh, your thoughts on some of this. You get to the end of it. And obviously they got to talk about the TV substances and stuff like that it's not the positive note that i really wanted them to have to end it on but i knew it was coming just because that was the big thing growing up when everything when the iron curtain fell everybody was talking about it so um not really like i don't know what's your thought on for on peds in this case i guess and then we can expand it to further to further on but what, what were your thoughts on that and then i'll come back to that yeah, so I'm going to kind of go into a little rant and then answer that question kind of like after I talk about this because I think it does Yeah, help. no problem. No um, problem. I mean, if you think about the people like Mark McGuire, he was the star. You could not hide him, you know, when he was out in the crowd. He had to have security all around him. He was the head honcho. People said he was like a video game. Like, he was the bad boy. to watch BP. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, yes, just to watch him swing a bat, like. You know, even after games, he'd pour champagne on, like, when he broke the rookie record on the interviewer. Like, this made baseball fun. Like, he was kind of, you know, the the MJ, you know, the LeBron, the Patrick Mahomes, the Tom Brady of baseball at the time. Without a doubt, right? Absolutely. Me, I love his intensity, you know. And for all that situation that does happen, you know, with the stuff, it just sucks because everyone was doing it. And this is the thing where I got to look at. I think 104 to 107 people – tested positive for like taking that stuff and yeah. maybe it did have to you know to, i mean they did put on a lot of muscle etc and maybe could you know hit more bombs but like he did it just for the injuries you know mark mcguire was just a yeah, guy who he had was a lot injured. of injuries he was and you know he wanted it so that he could be like health you know uh injury free moving forward and it just I, I just i hate to see it because this is what makes baseball fun and people who aren't the biggest baseball fans you know Everyone loves the double play. Everyone loves the perfect game. Everyone loves the home runs. You're not going to watch a two-to-one baseball game, you know, on ESPN for like, you know, 180 things out of the year, you know, or 160 games out of the year. So I just think with that being put into set, it just marked everything down. Oh, it doesn't count. It doesn't count because, like, they were taking stuff, da-da-da-da-da. It wasn't regulated, and everyone was doing it. So I'm just like, you know, I hate to see it, but, like, you know, I think I think the game needed it, as weird as that sounds, or bad, I guess. Yeah, and honestly, I'm kind of on the same page as you. Um, I hate that it had to become such a big deal, but obviously as more regulations and limitations were made in the game itself and whether people were aware or not before the rules came into effect, um, it's 
just something that, like you said, everybody was doing it. There was that discrete survey where 104 to 106 players test positive. A few of those people are in the Hall of Fame. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, you have to take that into account. And it's not even like all of them were. And so that kind of brings me to my point, like, performance-enhancing drugs, PEDs, and and, uh, and we don't know necessarily how big of a effect they play, like you said, but yeah, will they increase muscle mass and maybe like do some things to make you heal faster, have an advantage over the average person? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, obviously. But I don't know. I've always been the person that thinks that PEDs don't necessarily enhance a player's overall skill or or necessarily translate to numbers you know like you still have to go out and produce you still have, for baseball you still have to make contact with the ball you still have to have that hand-eye coordination and it goes relevant to all all sports um and then like you said you're looking at the older generation before regulations or monitored testing like you're telling me that there weren't hundreds of people doing it at that time like it, it has to there has to be and yeah, okay, if you, you can lose maybe a little bit of authenticity, but I'm not sure if it truly takes away from the greatness of the overall moment. Like you said before, people love home runs, man. Like, I mean, even literally World Series, I'm Big Al. And I <laughs> like, that, like, that's what people are about. Like, chicks dig the long ball, like everything. So I, I just, I think it's what the game needed, regardless of the implications of it. And I'm still willing to be the guy that, at the end of the day, you still had to go out and hit 70 home runs, just like when Bonds came out and broke it and hit 74 and then hit the all-time career home run record. Like, you, while you may have gotten stronger and bigger, faster, whatever else, you still have to hit that home run. You still have to time the pitch. You still have to make good contact. So, um I, I still give them the credit. I think it's what baseball needed at the time, and I just kind of wish that some of the negative aspects of it could be pushed to the wayside. Yeah, just like you were saying, though, Zizzy, the aspect of baseball, people were not even, like, wanting to watch it anymore because, you know, with the lockout, et cetera, and these yeah. two, you know, to three guys with uh, Griffey Jr. and then Bonds later on, they brought the game back. Sammy Sosa was so popular. He was the Michael Jordan for Chicago baseball. And it was even funny. He was so humble. He's like, you know, God picked me over uh, yeah. Griffey Jr. You know, uh, I just love it because everything about Sammy Sosa, even their pitcher Woods, was like he hits everything. And all Sammy Sosa wanted to do was be on ESPN at night. He's like, I just want to turn on the TV and see myself. Like, That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. He was a no-name. He was the classic, you know, build-up, you know, to battle against the big star kind of guy. Um, he went to the minors when he was 16, like, are you kidding me? I think I was like five foot at that time. Granted, I haven't grown much more than that, but like <laughs> 16 playing in the minors. Like, and to like top off Sammy Sosa, this man got swag. You see the suits he was wearing? Yes, hey, the sunglasses during the warm up, the big old like uh, glow stick sunglasses. Yes, sir. Like, Sammy Sosa was just such an awesome guy. And, you know, with him off the field, but even on it, people would wait outside of the stadium in the street for the home run balls to get it. And then when they did get it, they didn't have security come and walk these people out so they wouldn't get, like, jumped. How crazy is that, Zizzy? If you caught a ball and you're like, oh, I'm going to get mugged, like, I'm going to, you know, get taken away and, like, by these security guards because, like, it's that big of a moment. 
So yeah, like I, I'm, I, yeah, no, like go I, ahead. Yeah, and I just think like the fans needed this, and we got to put this aside because I think and definitely it did save baseball at the time. It let something be put on the news. We talked about being you know movie storybook stuff, but I think they needed it, and we got to be the you know bigger fan here and just push it to the side since everyone was. Now, if it was just Mark or, you know, if it was just Sammy, you know, just those two, all right, I'm a, I'm a little upset like you guys cheated, but everyone was. So, yeah, I exactly. think, you know, me as a fan, I just push that aside and I just witness greatness, you know. I yeah, don't want to debate I'm, about it, I just want to witness greatness. Yeah, definitely on board with that. Um, and then, of course, like you said, like just I don't think you can say enough about the two guys, Sammy especially, I mean, with how charismatic he was. I mean, absolute class act. To be able to actually play on a rival team and when the person you're going against in this race hits the 70 uh, or hits the 60-second home run in front of you and you run from right field to come down and congratulate the man, like, that's a class act right there, like, all the way through. And then um, for Mark to be able to uh, bring Sammy along in some of the stuff and then always be – supportive and never talk bad about him at any moment so um I th- it, it was just remarkable to see i again think it's definitely what baseball needed i know that i'm one of those people that isn't sitting down and watching a full nine inning baseball game but heck home run derby you gonna see me. oh yeah so, yes sir <laughs> so, yeah, that's what i'm saying i mean it's it got the people's attention it brought baseball back and uh, i don't know people might need to take a page out of that book before something bad happens this season Exactly. I totally agree. Kind of my last little statement on this. I mean, I really did enjoy it. I wish it was more Sammy Sosa and more about the, you know, drug, the steroid taking, you know, the supplement taking that they actually did so I could learn more about it and what actually happened. But yeah. it did just show like what the people wanted to see. They wanted to see home runs. They wanted to hear the like live feed, etc. So I really enjoyed it. Love seeing uh, my dog, Sammy Sosa you know show who he truly was and at the end of it i love how happy they were they were content they were like you know what i'm happy we should go both go to the hall of fame end of story yeah absolutely oh yeah but uh if you have nothing else to say i'm ready to move on to our next segment let's get it so i'm gonna leave the uh uh, top four uh college football teams who we think for next year for the last act because i think you're gonna be a little rattled by my oh goodness here we go but we're gonna talk about the best nfl coaches of all time so mr zizzy who is you know what how many do you have how many do you want to talk about i only i only threw in three um and honestly i was just i've been best coaches that are currently in the NFL, to be honest. I wasn't going all the time. I couldn't I didn't look at anybody. So I'm just going at my current, but I just I picked my top three right now. Okay. But, Take it away. All right. So um number three in the league currently right now. It's the coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Florin. Let's go. My pick for the coach of the year last year. Everybody wanted to tell me I was crazy, but let's just talk about the man. He learned from the GOAT, Bill Belichick. He took a system in which he was a big implement of the defense that still stands in New England, and he brings that culture to Miami. Comes to Miami, absolute culture shock and change. I know it wasn't seen, obviously, right out of the gate, but everyone has to remember, we were supposed to be, at least after week two, the worst team that the NFL has ever seen. Possibly... And, like, worse than 0-16 Lions, 
worse than 0-16 Browns, all that. Like, we looked absolutely terrible. But then at the end of the year, when you look at it, we ended, the, we ended with a 5-11 record. Like, obviously not great, but we started out, I want to say, what, like 1-5, 0-6 with really no plans or future outlook for success. And then you look at everything that's going on right now. He is him and with somebody else I'm going to talk about in a little bit. They are the epitome of being a player's coach and having a player's mentality. And I believe that's a lot more important than maybe some other people do. But when you have a coach that will go to bat for you, that will support you, that will make you feel like family, it's a whole different environment than just showing up to somebody that's with you at practice and games and then kind of waves you goodbye and, like, says what's up when you walk by anywhere else. So that's a big thing. And with him being who he is um, – on out being outspoken on the current issues at hand. I think he said all the right things. He's delivered all the right messages and he's setting up for a really good, um, for hopefully future success. I'm not sure how everything's going to go this year. We're going to have to see how they go with the whole Tua situation. Some other things they are obviously missing pieces still. It's not like the dolphins are dominant just yet, but give it another year or two. We're going to be talking about this man for real. And I think people need to, put him on notice and then like I said with just going off of the Tua thing just because it's popping in my head when you come in you as the head coach you obviously have influence on your draft and then they come in they draft Tua who in my eyes best quarterback that college football has ever seen and then you're gonna go and see like all the extra defense the extra linemen for the first time the Miami Dolphins had a draft in which fans can be proud of so all that aside, I have Brian Flores at my number three currently in the NFL. Do you want me to just keep going, or is your mouth no. off the floor yet? Or, uh... Zizzy? Oh, Zizzy. <laughs> I'm going to send a kit to you to measure what is wrong inside of your head, okay? Oh, I'm going to get on. the results back. Oh, come that on. is worse than me talking about my Chicago Bears. It is that more is the worst. record, I promise. No. No, five and eleven, and you say he's the third best so coach team? in the NFL today. No, 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 no. I'm I'm not finished. <laughs> Brian, who I don't even know this man's name, and you want to have the audacity to bring him into the top three coaches of hey, today? You heard it here first. No, absolutely. They will have another. Oh, they might win six games. I'll give you six this year because the Ooh. Patriots will be oh, you know not as well. But okay, I'm gonna name off just three coaches, and maybe four. That are better, okay? Sean okay. Payton, proven okay. to be better. Pete Carroll, proven to be better. Andy Reid, you talk about players, coach, everything like that. Yeah, Andy Reid's that dude. All right, and even uh, the Harbaugh, Coach Harbaugh. Are you kidding me, Zizzy? Those are just four off the top of my head that blow this guy out of the water. They but, have hey, I'm success. Saying that. No, hey. I'm not done. I'm not done. Oh, Let me finish. These are coaches that have proven to be successful. In the playoffs, in the regular season, et cetera. I think all the coaches I named off have a Super Bowl title, so that's kind of crazy. And they're still being successful this year, and they're going to have the pieces to be successful. And you're talking about old mighty Tua. He might not even start. Don't they still got Fitzmagic down there in Miami? Yeah, hey, Fitzmagic, is, that's exactly what we need. Exactly oh, what we need to try to So I'm just season. saying, I already talked about you know all these coaches. I mean, they have better players. 
They have better wins. They have a better culture. I get your whole kind of culture thing. You kind of turned it around down there. No, you didn't. What was the record before that? Four wins? Oh, congratulations. One more win, and that makes him the top three coach in the NFL? Oh, Zizzy. Oh, I think I think a loose wire's in the brain, but we're going to get a fix. Don't worry. All right, who's your number two? So, number two, number two is who I believe is is the ultimate players coach in the league. Um, and I think that people don't give him enough credit for last year, but I went with Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh okay. Steelers. So, uh, I mean, like I said, and we've and we like we know from everything, just the ultimate players coach puts everything that he can behind them, supports them when he has to. When they get fined, he gives them envelopes because he won't know what's in it, but they won't talk about it, whatever else. Anyway, um, he's there for his guys, and then he backs it up with success on the field. I mean, he still has an above. 650 winning percentage, 125 and 66 in the regular season. Might be a little bit more than that. Um, but 16th best all time. All time with a winning percentage. He's still current in the league. He's made the postseason 8 out of 12 seasons. And he did most of all, most if not all of that, while dealing with someone named Antonio Brown on the damn team. <laughs> we know that's a crazy, that's a man with some something going on up top. But to be able to deal with that, to be able to deal with the drama that was surrounding Big Ben earlier in his career, and to still keep the team afloat, keep it on course, and then you look at what they did last year where Big Ben goes down, gets injured, they don't have any really big superstar on the team to carry anything, and they're with a third-string quarterback. They're in legitimate playoff contention. Like You have to be a good coach to be able to take a team in the NFL not using your first two guys and still be an eight and eight football team with a legitimate chance to win in advance. It's very impressive. Uh, not much more to really say on that. Um, but when I'm looking at current people and current influences and great coaching in the NFL, I don't think you can't say Mike Tom. I will agree with you on this one there, Mr. Zizzy. I totally believe that Mike Tomlin at the end of his career will be a top 10, if not top five NFL coach of all time. All right. You have to understand the success is there. All right. The just like you said, he is a players coach. And like you said, he had to deal with Le'Veon Bell, you know, kind of a prima donna, like to sit out, etc. He mm-hmm. had to deal with Antonio Brown. Like you said, he had to go to their third string quarterback and still almost make the play like eight and eight. Like, come on, man. That's all due to coaching. If you can make sure your third strings are balling like first strings and still get you W's. Okay. I mean, if you look in the past. Uh, I mean, not in the past. I'm going to talk about the players now. I mean, James Conner is going to be a top 15 running back this year, if not top 10. Like, James Conner is pretty good. Yeah. The diamond in the rough. He showed the potential. Two years got it. Yeah. And then this uh, Juju Smith, uh, he's just, you know, electric off the field as much as he is on. He's a great human being. And, you know, just like you said, he, Mike Tomlin will definitely be there if anything, you know, Juju needs. And I just love the swagger that Mike Tomlin brings, the mentality he has while coaching a football team. And I've always – I'm not, like, saying I'm a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I've always liked, like, everyone who's been on that team. You know, Le'Veon yeah. Bell, you know, Antonio Brown before all this stuff went down. Yeah. Big Ben, you know, I've Ever since the bus him. days, man. Yeah. You know, uh, I just – I like it. I definitely like the choice there. And I could see Mike Tomlin going, you know, even further once he gets a few, you know, top-of-the-line elite players. All right, he's back, you know, in that contention. I have to agree with you on that, though. 
All right. All right. I'll take that. And then uh, moving forward for me was just, I mean, I don't even think there was a contest at number one. If you don't have Bill Belichick as the best coach in the NFL, I'm not really sure what else to say to anybody. But, I mean, you don't mention Tom Brady, the GOAT, without mentioning Bill Belichick. And then on top of that, they've been to, what, eight straight AFC championships now? I mean that that's just a Close, killer yeah. success. It's not that's not even just on an individual player or anything like that. Like that is sustained systemic success that has been unprecedented and never seen before. And lately, in their last few playoff runs, I would say that their team success has been more based off of their defense than what the GOAT Tom Brady and their offense have been able to do anyway. Um and then, of course, when you're looking at just the Lifetime Achievement Award, I mean, he's the only coach to ever win six Super Bowls. He was already a two-time champ before there, uh, before he was at the Pats with the Giants. Um, his defensive coordinator, yep. Yeah, defensive coordinator. But um, he led – he was the last – I think – he. I want to say the last coach of the Browns to lead them to the playoffs. <laughs> um, I want to say that was like 1990-ish. But highest winning percentage in NFL history – I mean, the stats say it, the story says it, and yet the entire time he has been able to maintain his monotone character. I don't know. It's incredible. But Bill Belichick, got to be the best in the league. So, yes, I will 100% agree because Bill Belichick is my number one best NFL coach of all time. Yes. All right? There we go. You know, so – Uh, You know, even above Vince Lombardi, who is Mr. Super Bowl, you know, the championship trophy is named after him. Yes. Lombardi only had two coaches of the year, two Super Bowl uh, championships. I know he did have kind of like five NFL champions, but that was, you know, um, when there wasn't like a lot of teams. He he did only have a – not only, I mean, it's like second highest, I'm pretty sure, 73% winning percentage, okay? Granted, he was the best motivator, you know. An NFL like trainer to train athletes of all time, best speeches, you know, and he never had a losing season. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good. Okay. That's probably what people want to argue. Okay. Now I'm going to argue against that. All right. Now, Bill Belichick being able to learn from one of the best, uh, Bill uh, Parcells. Parcells, uh, yeah. Yeah. And at that point, he would just follow wherever he would go. Like you said, he won two Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator. Okay. And then mm-hmm. he went to go to his own team. Now his own legacy, the man we talked about with the headed, uh, the sleeveless like sweatshirt, uh, <laughs> hood up, not going to say a word except for, you know, woo, we won. Okay, everyone get back to work. Let's go. We got another thing to do. He is the first coach to win 10 games in 10 consecutive seasons, a whole decade of Bill yes. Belichick winning. Can you imagine being a Patriots fan? How nice that would be! I would be loving life. Yeah, I'm right? sure. I'm bet it's amazing. That goes, that goes against six Super Bowls, like you said, and he won three of those Super Bowls in a four-year span. Are you kidding me? This mm-hmm. is greatness. And like you said, for you to go sixteen and zero in a season, granted they did lose to uh, Tom Brady's kryptonite, Eli yeah. Manning. Sixteen and zero. That has to have good. He had. Yeah. He has to have a good defense. And like you said, I do agree that two defenses kind of carried this team the past two years, that New England Patriots team being in a, a little bit poorer division. But also, at one point in you know his coaching career, the team had the most points per game. That is an NFL record of 36.8 points per game coached by Bill Belichick. So he can coach offense and he can coach defense. I think uh, 2000 was his last losing season. Oh, my soul. My that was Lord. 20 years ago. Oh There's not even kids Lord. old enough. There's kids on this Cornell football team who are probably just coming in that aren't even old enough to see the Patriots have a losing season. Like, come on now. <laughs> oh and uh, 
the last thing to go off of my rant about why Bill Belichick is the best of all time and the coach in today's era is he has 10 assistants that have became head coaches in the NFL. He spreads his knowledge and brings other great coaches along Mm. with him. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's just awesome. And like you said, uh, just kind of go off of it. um, We talked about Vince with two coaches of the year. Bill has three. All right. And we don't want to talk about playoff wins because Bill Belichick has that on lock with 31 most wins. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to compare it to Vince Lombardi, Bill does better. It just sucks because, you know, the Lombardi trophy is like, you know, the go to trophy. Yep. But Bill Belichick has sustained himself as the best coach in the NFL of all time. And just based on his assistance, on his consistency, and you know what? His swagger, you know. The man never gets excited. I think I've seen him smile as many fingers I got on my hand. So yeah. that is why I have to agree with you. Um, just to back up your great points, I have to do that as well. Yeah, killer mentality, solid, uh, killer attitude, absolute sustained immediate success. Absolutely incredible. Oh, yes. Do you have anything else about NFL coaches? I know lately there's been some kind of – you know, down, uh, downgrade on these coaches, some hate on them. But I think a lot of these NFL coaches are doing their best they can with everything that's put against them. And it's a tough job to be in. And for you to be that successful like Bill Belichick, um, I just salute all those NFL coaches. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. Let's move on to our top four for next year. Who do you think, Mr. Zizzy, will make the college football playoffs? Let's start at number four. All right, all right. Let's start at number four. You know, I really wanted to leave him off. I hate, I hate talking about him. I really want to leave him off. But I, I got Alabama making it at number four. I got to make it. So this is an Alabama team that most of us our entire lives have seen the sustained success that we're talking about when we're talking about levels of almost Bill Belichick era. But – this is the Nick Saban like show, Nick Saban's show, and for him to continue to do what he's doing, and then to actually miss playoffs last season, I don't <laughs> think that you can create bigger motivation for this guy or this team. So that's just the start. And on top of that, you still got Najee Harris, you got Devontae Smith at wide receiver coming back, and then people are forgetting that Mac Jones, yeah, two is gone now, which is a big hit. Because he did have a say, highest quarterback rating in NFL and not NFL, but NCAA history. But Matt Jones played while Tua was injured, and the man went three and one. He was three and one. He had fifteen hundred yards. He had fourteen touchdowns and only three picks. Like the man is not bad. And then on top of that, and it's an interesting thought because who knows how much he'll actually play. But Alabama did recruit the best dual threat quarterback in the ESPN rankings this past year. So maybe he gets in and they throw him in to mix him up. Maybe it's another Jalen Hurts combo situation. It's just something to think about, which is kind of kind of cool thought. But also, for the first time in three years, the Alabama coaching staff is staying the same. And I know that you know a little bit about coaching turnover, and I do too, but that really does have an effect on team psyche and overall team success because people have to learn new systems. People have to learn – different ways that they work with a coach, different training, different things. It's just everything is different when you get a different personality in charge. So 
for them to be able to keep their coaching staff for the first time in three seasons, yet while they still had all this previous success, I think is a key note to look at. And then just the fact that I won't believe that this dynasty is over until someone truly <laughs> proves that they are done. Like someone, like let the rest of the teams keep Alabama out of the playoffs this year. And I'll start talking about okay, may, maybe the era's over, like completely. Like maybe it's maybe it's dwindling, it's going away. But they only missed one year. I don't think you can knock them and say that they can't make it back the next season. They always are competitive. They're always good. They play in the SEC and still dominate people. So I, I think that number four is a good spot for them. I think they're going to make. It. So I'm going to continue the debate about Bama. I actually have them at number three okay. because of a lot of the points that you made. I do agree that I hate talking about Alabama being good. You know my roommate, <laughs> shout out Cheyenne Mino, but I hate, but I hate Bama just because they're so good, you know, just because they're good. Like, I absolutely love all the players and Nick Saban, but I just hate, like, the, you know, everyone, and I love everyone saying hates a perennial winner. Yeah, um, unless, you know, it's your team. But to go yeah. off some of your points, like you said, the quarterback battle is going to be great. Mac Jones, like you said, is a stud. But I'm going to hype up Bryce Young. This is the five-star quarterback yeah. that you were talking about. And to me, he sounds like a winner. He sounds like his name's going to sound good coming off the, you know, intercom when he scores touchdowns, okay? <laughs> so right then and there, you're going to have some guy leading the team. You already talked about some of the returners they have, you know, and with only losing a few, you know, good players. The coaching staff, that was another one of my points. Like, they returned their entire coaching staff. Like, that is phenomenal that you can just pick up right where you started instead of, you know, hitting some speed bumps along the way. Now, just like you said, Bama is known for being on top, and now this is their bounce-back year. Everyone counted us out last year. Everyone wanted us to be out. Guess what? Bama is back. It's the big run at the title time. It's their lucky year, you know. It's their year to get it. But I think after this year, Saban and Alabama will be on the decline. They're still going to be a top 10 team, you know, et cetera. But I feel like there's just going to be a few more powerhouses in, you know, the college football that are going to take that over. And Bama's not going to be on this high pedestal anymore. It's kind of a hot take. You know, you heard it here first. But uh, next year, they're still going to be dominant. But then, you know, the year after that, I think that's the start. You know, maybe they get fourth or fifth, whatever. You know, that's bad for them. But I think this is the start of their decline, which is not going to be a deep decline. But I just don't think they're going to be like the gods of college football. Folks, you have heard it here. This is Mickey Hines, Alabama Cliff Theory. Yep. After after this year. After this year. After this year. (laughs) Uh, but that's your number three. Okay, so you had them at number three. Who who'd you put at number four? Who snuck in there? Oh boy. Oh geez. Yes. Do not say Iowa. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Oh. I number oh. four. I have the best in the Big Twelve, Oklahoma. Really? I know Hertz and C D are gone, but I'm going to hop on the bandwagon. Shoot, put me as the co-driver of this bandwagon. Spencer Rattler, QB1 star. I have a gut oh feeling right in here. Goodness. This kid is going to be great. He breathes football, and now he gets a chance to show on one of the biggest stages how good and how well he can lead a team to greatness. 
Now, they do need to prove on defense, but as you know, Big 12 is known for no defense and great offense. Guess what? My boy Spencer's going to go ball and go off. I loved him <laughs> since QB1. I'm going to stay on this. And Oklahoma's been known for producing NFL-bound quarterbacks. I mean, Baker Mayfield. Granted, Jalen Hurts was already good before he went to Oklahoma, but he kept that and led Oklahoma to, you know, great seasons before he left for the NFL. So now it is Rattler's time. He saw Jalen Hurts do it last year. He knows what it takes to win. He's got a, you know, some monkey on his shoulder to prove people wrong, that he's not a bad kid, and he wants to prove to people that Oklahoma is back again. Ah, I, I think I want to be mad. I think I want to be mad about it, but I'm not. I'm not as mad as I probably could be. I mean, and that's probably because you know, I, I did watch that QB one. I did watch that. It was it was pretty good, <laughs> and I do, I do think that Spencer Rogers is a pretty dang good quarterback, and that he'll be able to come in. And do very well in a system that, like you said, is known for producing great quarterbacks. Three in a row that have made it to the NFL and three in a row that have made it to the Heisman race. So um, they have a good thing going there. They do play in a conference where they're known for offense and not defense. So if anybody's going to be coming in as a new guy and be able to do something special, it could happen at Oklahoma. But with that being said, Where's the defense? You can't make it as a top team in the country if you don't have defense. I mean, granted, they did make the playoffs last year without defense, really. But look what happened when they got there. You know? Like, it it wasn't, like, anything crazy. So, they got got beat pretty bad. So, um, with all that, you're losing Jalen Hurts. Radler has to prove himself as to the next level. I know it's one thing to say, like, I'm not going to say he can't handle pressure because the man's been on QB1 and been exposed to a lot for someone of his age. But he's not proven. Uh, there's a lot of brand news. There's a lot of question marks. And then there's just other teams that you have to look at that I think it makes more sense. And that's why when I look at my number three, I'm going to the Big Ten and I'm talking about the Penn State Nittany Lions. <laughs> so, when you're talking about Penn State, think about it. They won 11 games in three of the last four seasons now. Like, And that's quietly, I want to say, almost. Last year wasn't. They made some noise. But still, they've done that kind of quietly. They're returning nine starters on offense. They're returning half of the defense, including the All-American linebacker, Michael Parsons. Shout out all the linebackers out there. But their biggest obstacles typically every year are Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Well, guess what? This year, they host Ohio State. They don't have to play Wisconsin. They don't have to play Minnesota. And it sets, it's just, it sets up well for a breakthrough year. They have their deep at running back, as always. They have a great, solid team. They can play it both ways. And you were just talking about something earlier. I think I heard you quote the words revenge season. Penn State's been working on a revenge season since Jerry Sandusky was there, man. Like, they, like this is the believe in the rebuild, believe in the process. At some point, the best programs always rise back to the top. I think this is the motivation. They're going to make it. This is the year. 
they I know that it's hard because I've got another Big Ten team in there, and it was a team I was talking about earlier. But I think they're going to make it. I think that we can have two Big Ten teams in the top four. We've had two teams in the same conference make it. I think that it can happen. I think Penn State is poised to do it. All right. Okay. So that is blasphemous. Oh, Penn State. <laughs> I think they play Iowa this year, and I know they're going to lose. Especially if it's a night at Kinnick, what they're going year? to lose. Last year, I think they lost like three. I think it was like what 14 to 10 or something like that. Barely. Barely. <laughs> but anyway, um, real quick, uh, the Oklahoma, I know you're kind of talking trash, like easy schedule, but like the only hard team they have next year is Tennessee. So like that might be, you know, tough. Hey, but uh, they have an Tennessee easy schedule. Late, like like late you're talking about Penn State. So I cannot disagree with you where, where, why I want to bring up my number four again. Is because I do see that the two teams they typically lose to aren't you know they don't have to play them. Yeah. That is going to help them out, I think. But I think you really are counting out you know Iowa. Um, I, I don't know if they play Michigan. Like the Big Ten is so well, tough. It's not that I'm not them in. It's not that I'm counting them out. I think Iowa. I mean Iowa's been very very good. They've won what I want to say is it ten oh, games? Ten and, games. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like past what? four seasons. Yeah. yeah, past four or five seasons. So. I mean, you cannot knock Iowa. They are – they have well, – I'm not saying they're top four bound. I'm sorry, I'm not. Yeah, I'm no, they're not top four but, bound. But they, but they are a solid contender at any point in any season. And knocking teams yeah. off. And knocking yeah. teams off. The, on, for, okay. Until further notice, they are solid teams. Yeah. But I just so, – like, you look at Penn State, they've got an edge on Iowa. They've got an edge on some of these other teams that you probably are going to mention. So – and it's been proven in the last few years – and I'm a believer, you, until someone proves otherwise, it's the team to beat. All right. So I'm going to look back at episode eight when Penn State does not do well. Okay. I'm going to be like, ha, told you so. Well, anyway, fun. moving forward, you already know my number three. That was your number three, correct? Yes, yes. It's crazy yes. you put Penn State at number three. Maybe number <laughs> four if you want to maybe stretch me out for, you know, a crazy story. But I'm going to move <laughs> on to my number two because we already talked about my uh, Cheyenne Mino's Alabama team. But number two, which I think you were going to talk about here, and the team that's going to make sure Penn State doesn't even touch the top five next year, that being Ohio State. Absolutely. As bad as it <coughs> excuse me, hurts to you know put Ohio State you know ahead of the Hawks, et cetera, they are a bad team. The Buckeyes are scary because they're led by another QB one star, Justin fields he got you know he's second if not the heisman winner next year mark my words okay and last year they should be clemson and went on to uh the natty all right because of the non-fumble call remember this it was five minutes left in the third quarter it was third and 15 they throw it to uh, i forget who and he catches it takes two steps gets the ball knocked out they pick it up take it for a touchdown in the playstation fiesta bowl they would be the score now if that would have counted 23 to 21 over Clemson. This is a momentum swing, and Ohio State would have won that game easily. But it was also a momentum swing because it was a lifesaver for Clemson and got them to go to the natty. So just based on one call, practically not getting them into the you know championship last year, I got to have them going back because, you know, hopefully a freak accident doesn't happen. They are an explosive. They are a hungry and they are a wanting a revenge, you know, season for next year. Um, you know, I'm going to hype on uh, the Ohio State. Um, granted, you know, if they play when they play the Hawks, like I don't want them to win. Obviously, I'll be rooting for the Hawks to ruin any kind of success. 
yeah, that they have. But if you know, if I was a betting man, I gotta put Ohio State up there just because they are electric as a football team to watch. Well, you're confusing me because I just I don't know. Sometimes I think if you were a betting man, you'd be a smart man, and then you were telling <laughs> me that I was dumb about the Penn State stuff. So you're just confusing me, man. But no, uh, how no, does, I think Ohio State's better than Penn State. They're gonna play them. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. One loss team is not going to be in the top four. I'm sorry. It's going to be four undefeated teams. Hey, four undefeated? Ooh, I don't know about all that. That's a lot right there. Okay, but but if Bama has one loss and – Well, that's what I'm saying, and you got to take that into account, and that's why I'm also saying that I think Penn State and Ohio State can both make it because out of those two teams, I think one of them's got to go undefeated, and I think Ohio State would be the one that would. But Penn State can set themselves up, especially not playing Wisconsin or Minnesota, to be a one-loss team. And if that one loss is to Ohio State, people will overlook that one loss. They can get in. So I'm just saying, if Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Bama are all undefeated, there is – sorry, there's not a room at the table for one-loss teams. I'm sorry. Yeah, but that's the thing. But I don't. If, we if have, one of those teams when was the do, last okay. time we saw all four teams be undefeated in the playoff? Oh, yeah. Have we seen that? I agree. I agree. So that's. I mean, I don't. I, until that happens, I'm not going to say it would. So, all right. Who's um, your number two? Yeah, but I'm with you. I'm right with you. Number two. Okay. I, I think you have to go Buckeyes. Um, obviously, yes. This is year two of Justin Fields. I mean, he's coming off of a year with 51 overall touchdowns. Um, J.K. Dobbins went to the league, so we're going to put an even bigger focal point on Justin Fields. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> the man's electric, and this team is a scary team. There, if I know that everyone was crazed on LSU for the right reasons, and people didn't want uh, were sleeping on Clemson a little bit because nobody was sure who they really played throughout the season last year. But those are still the only two people wanted to talk about in the top four last year. But Ohio State was the team that nobody really wanted to play. Like, they are a scary team, and on any given night, they can mess something up. And I think you're right. If that fumble call has changed, we could have seen a whole (laughs) different championship. Um, Things are different, and obviously that's how it went, but Ohio State is coming back. They're returning basically their entire high-powered offense. They had a defense that only allowed 13 and some change last year, so about 13 points per game. Um, And then you just look at their track record. How long have they been the favorite in the Big Ten now? I mean, somebody's got to take the throne, and it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And then you look at the track record in general. They got Ryan Day coming back, who's solidified himself as the coach ever since Urban Meyer's early uh, retirement. But um, they – like they were plays from the championship and then they're coming back with some of the most explosive players in college football. I don't think that you can easily overlook them if you overlook them at all. And they've got to just be in at number two. I mean, there's not, I could sit there and do the technical stuff. I mean, you've done that pretty much for me, but I just don't see a reason for them not to be in the top two. The only reason I would see, um, they do play. I just got to shout out Bowling Green, you know, Coach Shower Handle, my NCAA. Hey. But uh, they do play Oregon second game of the year, and that is a team I could see. You know, if they lose to them, they have to win the Big Ten to even get a chance to make it. But mm-hmm. uh, I could, you know, that's a tough game. Oregon plus yeah, playing in the Big Ten, yeah. like that's a lot of tough games I got to play. But also, if they win all those games, guess what? They solidify their number two. So, yeah, and their loss. That's the only I could, yeah. 
Yeah, and a loss to Oregon, like obviously the team you lose to is what they're gonna take. They're going to take into account when they're doing the college football playoff rankings at the end of the year. So a loss to Oregon would definitely hurt them. Oregon's not a bad team, but they're not going to be that top five, I don't think. So yeah. um, to take a loss from Oregon would be really bad for them. But either that, even with that, I still think, like you said, they would have a good chance to run the table from there on out and then still make it to that big 10 championship win and probably still get in. So they've got to go. They've got a good look for them uh, going forward, but um, nobody seems to have a better look in my opinion than the number one team, the losers from last year's national championship, the Clemson Tigers. So um, I think when we look at last year, I Feel I know that we were just talking about Ohio State had a chance to beat Clemson, but in the game against LSU, I think that was the first time that we actually saw a team all season that looked poised enough to actually beat the Tigers. Like they actually had them on the ropes earlier in the game. Like they were a couple plays away from maybe being able to break it out and keep a comeback at all from happening. But let alone being able to beat them. I mean, they were they hung with them basically the entire four quarters till maybe the end. But that's a historic college team and a historic college season that the LSU Tigers had. And Clemson was right there with them. So on top of that, you got two huge names returning on the offensive side of the ball. You got Trevor Lawrence, who is going to have all eyes on him going into this season because everyone's expecting him to be the number one pick in the draft. He had almost, he still almost had 4,000 yards last year, 36 touchdowns to eight picks. He's got 66 touchdowns in his career. I mean, the man, the man is pretty precise, and I know he didn't so he didn't um, display his preciseness necessarily in the championship game, but his t- entire career he's been on point, and he can do it with his legs. Plus, he doesn't have to be the one doing it with his legs because behind him he's got Travis. Uh, what I. How do you pronounce it? Etienne, I want to say. Yeah, I have it written yeah. down to Etienne. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Etienne, I want to say that's how you pronounce it. Uh, but, I mean, the man ran for 1,600 yards and almost 20 touchdowns last year. He's got 62 career touchdowns. Like, I don't – the man scores. The man is a numbers machine, and he's been doing it his whole career. So, you got those two beasts handling all the dirty work. And then you have probably going into the 2020 season on paper, the best defensive line on the other side of the ball. So they are very good. They averaged about 44, 45 points a game last season. Obviously, they're playing in the ACC, so their schedule is going to be manageable. Their toughest matchup, I believe, is going to be against Notre Dame, which like, okay, Notre Dame, tough team, good history. But I don't like, are they really on Clemson level right now? I don't think so. And then you got five straight playoff appearances, two out of the last four championships, number one ranked recruiting class. I mean, th- this is the new Alabama right now. I mean, maybe not as mu- many championship wins, but everything else seems to be pointing in that direction. Zizzy, I want to – good job. You're actually Woo! starting to say some smart stuff. Zizzy, let's go! <laughs> so – I totally agree that Clemson is number one. It's the first time we agreed on our number one and two since, you know, we started this podcast. But uh, <laughs> if I, this all has to go, like you're saying, if Dabo, I know there's been a lot of uh, hate on him right now. 
situations that are being going on. Yeah, that yeah. has to be situated because they are the most talented team in college football right now. Um, the only negative part is, like you said, they have to play Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. Like, I mean, they're good, yeah. but they're not Clemson, you know, the new Bama, the new, you know, we want Clemson, you know, where trash teams put up signs when they beat, you know, upset a team. Just like you said, Trevor Lawrence, if not Justin Fields, is a front runner for the Heisman. All eyes on him, like you said. They mm-hmm. do have Justin Ross, Ross, who's a returning receiver, and he's a yeah. pretty elite guy. I mean, go look at his highlight tape. Yeah, and good. they lost Higgins, but I mean, and, like you said, that's a good oh, yeah. step up. They have good depth there. <laughs> and just like you said, they're running back, Etine Travis. He is the Clemson's all-time rushing leader, and he's back. He's going to come <laughs> back, have a stellar season. So if Trevor's, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, the, probably the best quarterback at college football. Very gets, surprised. Gets, you know, tired. Oh, here you go. You know, the best uh, running back we've seen, you know. And like you said, past five years, they made it, you know, to the college football playoffs. Okay. And then um, they got weapons everywhere. And even, like, their backups. They have five-star, like, linebackers. I think his name's Trenton Simpson as a backup linebacker. That's so Come crazy. on now. That's like, so I would unfair. love to have a five-star backing up someone. Yeah, that's that recruiting class, man. they have, you know, the resume of winning. Big players, big player names, the perfect moment ahead of them. They are born for this moment. And if I had to choose today, Clemson will win the title. Now, if we talk week five of, you know, the NCAA season next year, that might change. But uh, they are my early bets of winning the ship because they're not going to have an LSU team, okay? I'm sorry, but LSU, I'm glad you kept them out as well. But they had 13 players going to the draft, that being a college record. Yeah, no, but that, that team Joe will Burrow, not They lost Joe they lost their edge. Yeah, they yeah, lost dude. Justin Jefferson. They lost a linebacker, another running back, a cornerback, yeah. an offensive guard, linebacker center, offensive tackle, mm-hmm. defensive end. And then Joe you, Burrow, obviously, who had the best quarterback, the best season a college quarterback has ever had. Yeah. You lost all those guys. I just don't see all these news guys playing, you know, 10, 12 football games at the level LSU did or at the level of the four slash five teams you said. I definitely think Penn State will be higher than LSU. I loved watching LSU win. I really did. I was a fan of it last year and beating Clemson. I was all for it. I wanted LSU to win it all. But I just, you know, Coach O, go Tigers. Like, I love yeah. it. I just can't see them back in the top uh, four. I just wanted to put that in there. Um, I'm really happy you agree with me on that, though. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, number one next year. Yeah, and I think it's just going off the point for the LSU stuff. I Like, they they're obviously can be great. And it's not that they can't be competitive to be up in the conversation. But it's just we have to take into account maybe we're just – putting them too high on too high a pedestal from last year because the team we saw last year really was truly historic. Like that, oh, yeah. that was absolutely insane to see what the uh, LSU Tigers were able to do last year. So maybe it's because we know I, like, I just don't think it's possible to replicate that kind of success. But yet again, do they necessarily have to reach that level of success to be competitive with the best teams in the country? No. But like, but they lost thirteen big guys. Like that is, and I'm talking huge names. Like some of the most important positions on the team. So I, I just think that we're on the same page. Where yes, you're the defending champs. You deserve all the props in the world. But when it comes to this coming season, you're they're just it's they're lacking now. It was like they pulled out all the stops for their season. 
and now now they kind of got to rebuild it. So we'll see what happens. But I don't I don't think they have what it takes to beat any of the teams that we discussed in either of our top fours. So I think you're right on that. But Clemson does have to stay at number one. Um, they there's no reason to think otherwise. I mean, let's talk like Trevor Lawrence has been their starting quarterback now for I think a two full seasons. And the only game we've yep. ever seen him lose was in the national <laughs> championship against debatably the greatest college team of all time. And he still put up some numbers and made some things happen, especially early on in that game. So, I mean, the one loss, like, I want to see this man come out with a vengeance. Like, something's going to be crazy. So, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to get back to sports in general. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that's uh, a good way to end it on that. Hey, Amen. Like I said, let's go Tigers, but Clemson Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, I shall hit everybody with the, if you're talking sports, it's the matchup. Mickey Huey says, yeah, you're cutting it up. Just a couple athletic enthusiasts. You know what it is. The Mickey Ziggy podcast. Have a great night, everybody. <laughs> we enjoy doing this for you. Hit us up with any comments, questions, anything that can help us for the show or if you want to get involved reach out to us we would love to hear from any of you uh anything from you mr mickey hines nope all good thank you everyone for listening all right episode eight out